I've never cried watching anything before. Not even Pokemon? Does mist, misting, misting counts? I think we've all missed it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never cried watching anything before. Even then, I don't know. Um, when I tweeted that, I don't know how we're going to record. I just don't know. Uh, what to even say? Yeah. I feel really vulnerable right now. <laughs> and I know that everyone uh, is listening to our podcast. Welcome. Support group. I think a little bit of silence is appropriate as we start the show. It's just unbelievable the way that it ended and how the story played itself out. I certainly didn't see it coming. I don't know if you guys did, but just it's hard because one of the most beloved characters in the series is now presumably gone. And I thought back to when I watched season one, specifically the Baylor episode and just the raw emotion after what happened to Ned, I hadn't felt that in a really long time. And mostly because having read the books, I knew what was going to happen at the Red Wedding and and some of the other major events that sparked a lot of emotion. But this was just something totally different. And you just were left completely in awe. I think I think I'm gonna cry again. <laughs> you know, we we <laughs> I don't want we like to. to believe in in destiny and and these characters. We know that there is a destiny ahead of them, and for for Hodor's, it came. It, he was he was essentially appointed his destiny at an early age. That was the one thing that he had to do, and it's what he presumably died doing. And that's just, that's something to be, to have been, for it to be so, it's cruel and at the same time, it's, it's a little beautiful and confusing. There's certainly a lot to talk about as far as the circumstances. Like how much, how we hate Bran more than Ollie. Ghost kills Bran. Yep. (laughs) Ollie's out, Bran's in. But, but there, there is something very beautiful in the portrayal, both that, both actors, um, playing young. Willis and Christian Nairn, of course. Um, yeah, I'm, bl- I'm blown away. We, we saw a TV show, guys. We saw an amazing episode. Probably one of the strongest episodes. Actually, not probably. Definitely one of the strongest episodes that Game of Thrones has, has put out. I'm visiting home and I'm sitting outside, uh, just on the, the edge of a, of a forest and I watched the episode outside laying in the grass. And it sounds uh, amazing. It was, it, it was, the ambiance was too much. It all just kind of came together. And uh, there at the end, I put down my phone completely because we, we take small notes when we watch sometimes so we can remember in the moment. I kind of treat it like free writing and just, you know, able to capture like sort of a thought. It's usually just caps. Like my phone auto autocorrects Brienne and caps automatically because of my notes. And uh, I've just put my phone down and uh, just sat with my face glued to the screen. The, the the entire sequence once it began um outside and uh obviously as it kept going that was just uh, and there's too many points to talk about in this episode uh it was just we were talking a little bit about this before we sat down to record in my mind from start to finish was just a complete episode and 
delivered on so many different fronts, including the one I'm sure we're going to spend the most time talking about. I, I don't remember an episode like this, and, and certainly there's been some good ones so far this season, but just so much from you know Sansa and Littlefinger all the way through to the end with Hodor. Uh, this was just... It's, it's hard to say it's one of my favorite episodes, but I thought it was definitely one of the most complete episodes in a long time. It's the most I've ever felt watching something, and I know that all of us, a part of this community, have a unique position because we really, really, really care. And uh, this episode was too much. Um, from seeing young Willis writhing on the ground and what that triggers inside of you, but also just the weight of all the answers that we got. It was, just, you know, the origin story of the White Walkers. <laughs> Children, what have you done? No dinner. <laughs> No, yes. no this is you go one of those room. moments where I wish that we recorded like two days after we watched the episode because it's just so hard to even talk about not only just Hodor and the White Walkers and everything, but even like Micah said, the Iron Islands and yeah, Sansa and Littlefinger. There's so many moments that I don't know how to unpack any of them right now. So I'm glad we get to do this together. And Danny and Jorah, I'm sure, gave you guys oh, some feels. I, that was holy crap. All of that in this episode. And I and I still feel like there are mysteries unfolding around us and, and answers that are, are yet to, to be started. Like I for one think Baelish could be leading Sansa into a or Brienne into a trap. And that was something that gestated out of this episode. It's not it's not that things are feeling necessarily closer to the end but things sure as hell are moving along so you know i i I just this this continued to amaze me knowing that this was this is the halfway point uh for this season this episode five there are five episodes remaining before this season is over i mean what a season it's been so far but guys i mean we have five more episodes left and 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 think about all that can can be accomplished i don't know that they can do this again I don't know that the story can do this again. I mean, this feels like a real, real turning point. Um, not only was the, the, the Night King there inside of the tree, uh, staring down the three-eyed raven before he slew him, <laughs> but um, this is we, we know who he is now. We know why he is, and, and all of it, all of it, while I was watching that moment, um, and I saw it happen. Those eyes turn blue. All everything, everything, the 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 chronology, the world, understanding. And why the children, the first men, had to defend themselves against the likes of men and the thing that they created to protect themselves against the likes of men, that machine that they created, uh, is flawlessly performing its design and is uh, uncontrollable. And for all of those years that this beast slept from the last stand against them with the forces that did stand against them and were able to put them at bay. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the right moment. The world is in chaos, both East and West. It's been worse, I'm sure, but right now it's perfect. And it, they took long enough for the world to stop thinking about them. They, they, they allowed themselves that this threat to become uh, legend and lore and, and complacent. And uh, mm. clearly they're very real and uh, this perfect moment, this marriage of, of all of the chaos and their rise forward is so interesting to me because now what we're going to see from this 
turning point in the middle of uh, season six and for the rest of the series and for the rest of the story. Um, I believe that w- w- what we're going to see is the Song of Ice and Fire. It's the people like Sansa, the people like Arya, the people like Daenerys performing together and with their fellowship, even with their differences. That will be the only way. It will be the only way they can stand against um, an enemy that has been sleeping for so long. Dragons, Daenerys, Azor Ahai, it's going to take everything. And uh, that just sort of became very, very clear in this episode. And we knew that they were a threat before, but uh, I mean, like I said, it They're all just kind of big a threat now. Unloaded <laughs> at once. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. That was such great. Uh, background that you just gave and and I felt strongly that a lot of this episode was about origin N- and you touched on the children of the forest creating the white walkers but even when Arya and Jacken are talking in the house of black and white that the faceless men founded bravos the fact that Jorah is referred to again as Jorah the Andal uh, and there was just just a sense you know even going back in time to see Hodor and Winterfell, there was there was a clear sort of theme in this episode about learning what preceded, and I think that it will only continue to unravel as we make our way through this story. I mean, this was a huge moment, a huge reveal, something that people who have read the series for over 20 years have wondered, who is Hodor? What does his name mean? And it was just so masterfully done in this episode in terms of how it was revealed and the importance of it. The fact that Bran can really manipulate events, both past and present. And so I I don't know what that means for the future, but clearly it's a reason why the Night's King is after him. So my question is, did Hodor know the whole time that he was going to die for Bran? Could he see Bran at Winterfell? His purpose, since he was a child, was to protect Ned Stark's son and to help him. Before he existed. Before he existed. By by him. You know, his friends that he met later and traveled with and went through so much to get to where they are. And those are the people that are responsible for not only what happened to him, but, you know, his his whole life from that moment forward. It changed. And he ended it with them, just like he started his new life with them. And just bravo to George R. R. Martin. What a what a gut wrencher that is. That is that is such a I mean, apart from the the children inventing the White Walkers, which is an answer we have been thirsting for ever since the show began. Ever mm-hmm. though, those of you who have read the story ever since the very first chapter, uh, it's so well done. It's so good, <laughs> and it, and it opens up another can it's of worms. So I want to know more. I want more. Yeah, nice. and, and I was going to say to you as as we started this episode out, I mean, are you still on the side of the children of the forest now, knowing uh, what you know? And hopefully this is canon. Hopefully it is true and not just something that the show came up with. Right. Because there is, of course, that possibility. That is possible, yeah. However, I, I, I mean, I just think it's an amazing twist to the story that yeah. this group of beings that they are responsible for creating are now the ones that they are trying to... You know, save the world from and 
most of them, I'm, I'm assuming there could be a few more children floating around somewhere, but most of them were just wiped killed out in this, in this episode. And, and that's kudos <laughs> to the one who finally stood up and, uh, in, in the tunnel there because she's the one who is responsible for, at least from that flashback, everything that has happened since. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to, to, yeah, to, to talk about the, the children, do, do we forgive them? Do we like them still? It's, it's, no, it's I, do I, you I like them? Not we. Do I like them? Oh. <laughs> you're, you're asking <laughs> no, me specifically. That's important. Okay. Gee, what do I think? I'm of just the I'm joking. Of the I, I hope all of them weren't wiped out because I still want to know the in between things. Like, this is, I'm not satisfied with just, like, at some point, because from this episode, we learn the children of the forest created what we know as the White Walkers to defend themselves against the men who are coming over, presumably of what we would call the first men um, who were the destroying the Andals, who were destroying the trees and their sacred places of worship, etc. At some point, the children of the forest also helped build the wall to keep the White Walkers out of the south or everything south of the wall for to help the men to help the animals to that's a lot of regret the, isn't it the realm I mean, it's it's a hell of a yeah. lot of regret yeah and, you're, and you're what, responsible at, to do that though at what point did their creations turn on them and why and you know frankly now that the the knight's king has slain the three-eyed raven or former three-eyed raven isn't it a bit like killing your own father um, you know, to kill to to, to kill your maker in 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 that way is was sort of their he's part. not their maker though. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know his relationship with the children of the forest, but it's kind of like that. That's they they delayed whatever they were doing to come and find Bran after they knew where he was and to destroy that shrine, that weirwood tree. Mm-hmm. Well, the same tree from the flashback, right? At least that's the way I interpreted it. The the tree against which the Night's King was made was this tree that they were inside and have been for the a, past few episodes. I thought it was a different tree because the tree well, it grew over rock time. Formations and the, stuff. the tree that Bran is at when he, when the Night's King touches him is that tree. Because remember when they first came upon the tree, it was in, in bloom. You know, it wasn't dead and there weren't the gravestones all around. Mm. I think it's different trees. Well, I mean, that in my mind was how many hundreds if not thousands of years earlier thousands Thousands and thousands and thousands so over time that tree could have grown into what we saw in this episode Uh, time travel is a strange thing and if i'm not mistaken though and was it obsidian that they drove into the heart Mm -hmm. of the knight's king was it It dragon glass it looked like it it looked like dragon glass which would also explain in a way why dragon glass can kill them Mm mm-hmm but it creates them and it kills them. I don't know. There's so many questions. <laughs> why? So many questions. <laughs> why ice? You know, like why? Why was this their answer? Why was mm-hmm. this their weapon? I'm curious. There has to be more there. And what? There what was? The, who were they there. sacrificing to? Or was that a sacrifice at all? Was that a normal man they were killing? Mm-hmm. It's a past lord, lord commander that is fabled to mm. be the original Night King. Right. And we may see an answer uh, for that in the show, but we also may not. Mm-hmm. I think Eric brings up a good a good point about what point did the White Walkers become out of control, or what point did the Children of the Forest feel like they had to start running from them? I think that that's something that I hope that we find out, and if not in the show, then maybe something we'll have to wait to explore 
in the book that this is mm-hmm. this is going to be canon. That look he gave the three-eyed raven was not empty. There was I mean, it's hard to tell. I don't know if it was malice. I don't know if it was condescension. I don't know if it was <laughs> you know look at me, um, you know person that's connected with me. Like I, I don't know what sort of feeling. I don't know what what he has out for those people, other than the fact that you know maybe they have information on their undoing possibly or you know they're just bent on destroying everyone like obviously there there's there's some pretty obvious answers but um the real true answer to those feelings he has he had the night king had the thread raven i think will be telling to part of that connection that we're talking about like at, w- at what point did they turn and what kind of connection uh do they actually have with these people I mean, we understand, right, that they would be angry at the children of the forest, and we understand that the children of the forest are uh, very much a part of the technology. They are the technology of what they're doing at the Great Whirlwood Tree. So it's just it's interesting. They can't be happy that they made them and then built them a wall. <laughs> that that can't be enough. Yeah, and and speaking of connections, what now, if any, is still the connection between Bran and the Night's King. It's almost like yeah, the, the Horcrux connection yeah. <laughs> between Harry and Voldemort. <laughs> That's I what the I was same thinking thing. too. <laughs> yeah. And he's marked, right? And and so Can he run fast enough? He can follow him through time and space. You get the time traveling Night's King following Bran everywhere he goes. And what's Gee. the future now for, for Bran and Mira? I mean, Mira's the only one that's been left to defend Bran and Assuming from the end of this episode, I think it's a safe assumption that Hodor is is not going to be reappearing. If he is, uh, it's funny. I was nice blue eyes. Yeah, that's that's another question. I mean, do we see him somewhere down the road as a reanimated Hodor? Jeez, that's awful. I think that's awful. Well, Bran (laughs) used them, so why not the Night King? Right. Yeah, but they're all family. Oh man, I would Christian Aaron. The actor who portrays Hodor, a friend of ours, is joining the podcast this week, and we will make sure to ask him for every spoiler that, that you're he possibly can give. <laughs> Are you a white? Grilling him. Christian. I mean, they were tearing his get off, though, and stabbing him through the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the door that he held as if it were his his entire purpose since he was young to do that. It's Yeah. Mira... Being off Crazy. at Bran alone, that was, correct me if I, that was foretold just a couple episodes ago. The, the one child, uh, told Mira that, that that would happen, right? Mm-hmm. Did she say there will, there will come a time when you're out there with him without us? And, but I, 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 without, I mean, seeing as how Bran was still grasping at the roots of that weirwood tree to sort of activate his powers of observation of time and space, I, I find it, well, I, I'm interested in finding out how he's going to continue to um, use his, his, his skills, his power, uh, without uh, such a crutch. Um, and we've been talking about the repercussions of him doing this on his own and what that would mean. And I wonder if what he's, he's seen is going to, how that may change his trajectory how that might change how he sees his powers i guess you could say mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. i feel like he's got to know that he messed up maybe he, <laughs> he doesn't went right to there it's just like hey i'm gonna go out taking the car out without mom and dad knowing 
and he just went right to a drag race. You know, like he just <laughs> yeah. he messed up big time. Couldn't we have just gone back to the Tower of Joy? He That's crashed so, the car yeah. right away. He just immediately hit a telephone pole backing out of the driveway. I mean, why was that telephone pole there? I don't know, Brand. Why did you go there? I understand that you're curious, but good God. And then he walks straight as soon as he, oh. he arrives there and he starts walking straight into them. Oh, I was man. just out loud saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop. But he continues to walk. You know that it's a good episode when it takes us that long to mention that Bran walked through the army of the dead and it was... What show or like, what are we even watching? You know, I'm used to seeing Braun, you know, saying really funny stuff. And I do miss <laughs> Braun. You know, like, what Me show too. are we watching? That was, man, that was good. That was so good. And then they're all outside. Tree. Just, they're terrifying. And Bran is still hanging out in Winterfell. <laughs> I was so mad. I want to know why this was important. I understand. Hodor buying them time is important, but was that was that it? Because I know that there's more to do for Bran now that he's replacing the Three-Eyed Raven. We need to know about the Tower of Joy and s- several other points of, that I'm sure that the Three-Eyed Raven would have liked to have introduced Bran to as part of his teaching, as part of his mm-hmm. learning, mm-hmm. but we don't have that chance and we don't know, and presumably... Bran can now travel p- very powerfully uh, away from the tree because he was doing that in this episode. So we can assume that he can do that remotely. Right. So he doesn't, maybe he doesn't necessarily have to be at the tree. Fine. Mm-hmm. Well, but he can use what, other ones. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no reason to think he can't use other werewoods. Right. right. If, if it's necessary. And he was halfway between sort of the worlds as well. He could hear Mira as could the three-eyed raven, but he could also still be present in the past. He could warg into Hodor in the present and still warg into Hodor in the past. No wonder it got messed up. He was doing four things at once in yeah. different times and places. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of questions about That's the mechanics cool. of that. I mean, that was such a, a cluster, you know, of, of, of crazy everything that was happening on top of the fact that, that the army of the dead was seizing the stronghold. And how much does Hodor know? That's my big question that I said before. Yeah. How much did he understand what was going on then? How much does he understand going on when we're in the present and and what that could have meant for his whole story? All good that questions for Christian. Yeah. If he saw Bran and later recognized Bran to be that person that he saw and this happened to, it would it would it would be so beautiful and explain a lot of his true devotion. Not that he wouldn't have been devoted otherwise, because I believe that his character, that Hodor, was a, was a, was a good person, and that would have seen what was happening in Winterfell with Theon and the Greyjoys, and would have would have stuck with him, and would have stuck with the Starks, especially growing up uh, with his family and being as close to his family like he was. But but also knowing that he had a predetermined destiny, um, that, that's that's so cool. It's incredible. That's so cool. But why was he there? Why was the three, like, was it because, like I said, that Hodor needed to buy them time? Is that why he took them there? Yeah, that was, that was always the exit vision. That was always the last thing that the Three-Eyed Raven was going to show him. It was like, you know, this episode directed by Jack Bender, uh, who did many episodes of Lost, this reminds me of the incident at the Swan in 1976, which it, you know, we, we learn about it early on. We don't know who caused it. 
and then not to spoil loss, but we end up finding out who caused it. Right. And it has something to do with time travel. That's and that was this. emotional too. Very yeah, emotional. That's, that's this. That's this episode. That's this. They, Bran caused this. And, and we hate Bran now. I think it's safe to say. But I don't hate, I don't do hate Bran. Do we though? Yeah. I don't hate Bran. I don't hate Bran, but I, it's like what the Blood Raven said when he's like, it's time for you to come, become me. And Bran asks, he's ready. And then he says, no. Like Bran is just young. He doesn't know what he's doing. And he just, he's is, human. He's human. Then, then it switches over to Castle Black and then we come back and then he's kind of ready, but not really. And it's, I think that part of me wonders whether or not he allowed Bran to go and, see the Night's King. I feel like, remember there was that scene where he throws, sorry, the scene was so dark, I, I couldn't even see what it was that he picked up and threw at him. I mean, a piece of wood, yeah, wood chip. Yeah. And <laughs> a lot I, of wood there. I, I can't help but wonder, right, if he knew that eventually Bran was going to do something like this and he just allowed him to do so because immediately he knew that the Night's King had touched him. And then, of course, it was so important that he see that very last vision back mm. at Winterfell and you see Lord Rickard Stark, right? Talking to Ned and yeah. Hodor is there and, and everything plays out the way that we saw, but I, I, I'm, I'm still just trying to piece it all together because I'm, I'm not sure who this guy really is, what his intentions were for Bran and, and how much more he could have potentially learned had he not gone and, and just got, you know, sort of that, that itchy got to touch that little Teenage piece of wood over there. Yeah. yeah. But what if this was a unique time? Like did the three eyed Raven know that they'd be attacked at that time and not the only way for Bran uh, to survive and leave the tree Did he know at some point this was going to happen. So uh, the only way that it would, it would take place like, so he went in the future and he, he knew that that saying this to Hodor, communicating with Hodor like he did when he was young, would turn him into that mm -hmm. person with that disorder and that I would lead him into this life. But how would he know that specifically? Like without without having going further into the future and seeing that it worked, how could he with so much confidence say, This is the vision, this is the time? This is what has to happen. Or was this unique? And was this the first time that it happened? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a, a straight line, you know? I don't think that it can be a straight line. No. Obviously, there, there are different angles here. And I'm just curious as to the, the, the real reason why, why that took place. And it could, that could be the simple answer. And that's okay if it is the simple answer. The three-eyed raven can go through space and time. He saw that Hodor saves you guys by holding the door. And then he put two and two together, or maybe he went and as a third party looked at Bran traveling through time, you know, <laughs> doing, saying, you know, communicating near shouting, hold the door, uh, through him. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, like how would he know with full confidence as well? I'm just, I don't know. It's, I also think of, uh, prisoner of Azkaban, Harry cast the Patronus because he sees, his father do it, but it's, it's, it's not actually his father. It's him. You know, it's, it's a circle. Exactly. It's, it's a yeah. loop. It's, exactly. But you know, was it always just him? You know, who cast the first Patronus the first time? It's, it's such a, you know, time baby. <laughs> <laughs> right. But with time, it makes sense because that's what happened. You right. know, 
Mm-hmm. Like, that's just what happened. But in this, it's interesting because is it what happens? It's if you what, cast it's, a, if yeah, you cast cause a, it. Yeah. If you cast a Patronus, it will repel Dementors. Mm-hmm. But if you communicate through a vision, does this happen to people? Ned, when he reacted at the Tower of Joy, I know it wasn't as strong. Ned didn't, that didn't happen to Ned. You know? We didn't try warging into him. That's true. That's, that's true. Mm-hmm. So some, but it must have been because he, I mean, it didn't, it only half worked because he was halfway between planes. I, you know, I'm just not. Yeah. It's, I, and I'm afraid to kind of go down this road because I feel like I'm, I'm not going to make a whole lot of sense, but it, at <laughs> least with the, with the Knights King, right? I feel like he could touch him. He could reach out and, and see him because he was created, basically sacrificed at a werewood tree, right? And isn't that how Bran is going through and seeing all these visions? So sort of the same lines of magic, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as far as the same magic, yeah. Yeah. The the Night's King though, I just have a lot of questions about him. But with the three eyed raven, it's had he already seen this vision in the past at Winterfell where Willis starts to go through this seizure and once Bran and Hodor and Mira show up, he begins to put the pieces of the puzzle together. How long has he had this knowledge? You does does Hodor become Hodor no matter what, or is it because Bran goes back in time mm-hmm. and creates Hodor that Hodor exactly. becomes Hodor? And and that's what I was saying earlier. Like I'm afraid to go down this road because I'm not sure I'm going to make a lot of sense. But mm-hmm. that's kind of the the way that I'm looking at it. And what else does that mean that Bran can do? What else can he manipulate? What else can he affect or even change from the past? What's he going to try to go back in effect? What will, yeah, yeah. What will he do? Because I think he will try. He doesn't have anyone to guide him now. We have, we haven't gotten that speech that with great power comes great responsibility. But I think, I think the fact that what, what he did to Hodor will humanize him in a way will make him not want to affect the past or be more cautious in, in doing so. I think I that so. might that might work to to be his conscience. But what do you think is the future immediate for him? I he's think with the gonna, running, running from the White Walkers. I yeah. think he's going to ask the same questions that we're asking when he gets mm. a moment to breathe. Why yeah. was I there? Was it supposed to be like this? He has no protection, though. I mean, he, he summer is gone now too. And that was come on. I mean, unnecessary, it? right? I could I could have done it without. Had to happen. These direwolves are going to die defending their except ghost star components. Well, well, that's true. Um, you know, I prefer to think that direwolves can tell a losing battle and would have, you know, he he would have somebody just would have run with Bran and, and helped that way. But you know, that didn't that didn't happen. It's just seeing how seeing these dogs cut up is is a favorite pastime of show creators. I don't know if that's too rough to say, but it it it, it absolutely like I, it was. It was heart wrenching. So much was going on too. You just had no time to really mm-hmm. feel 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 about it. I, I guess my question is: Where is Bran going, and and who can he look to to protect him? Because he's defenseless. I mean, Mira is an, is certainly a viable option, but there's only so much she can do in certain situations. So uh, those are two big questions for me. My bet is still is still for more. Children for more. I mean, because they have the magic that can keep these things at bay. I know Bran is marked now, and that the magic of the 
don't know what you call it, the tree just, you know, w- was broken because of what happened. But there, there has to be, I mean, anybody with any answers as, as to how to even, to, even just temporarily get away from these guys are going to be more children. But, you know, maybe they did all just burn to death. Maybe they did all just die right then and there. That was the last of them. I mean, it'd but be how kind do of, you get away from the Night's King? Yeah. yeah. And where do you go or where do you hide? Fast horse. The wall. I mean, the because other if, side of, get to the Rand other side of the wall. If try to continue to explore these visions that it, whatever we call it, he can't, can he? I mean, I just don't, I don't know where he's going to go without being tracked down now that he's got that mark on him. Yeah. Yeah. That mark, guys. And my, my fears of Bran uh, becoming someone that we're possibly against, I feel like are growing. There has to be one Stark we can't quite see eye to eye with, right? Used to be Sansa, but now she's come around. Has she? Sansa, yeah. In this episode? God. There were moments. There were some questions that I have. Are you, are you not yeah. sure? Sansa wasn't honest with John, and I don't see why. Yeah. It wasn't for John's sake. It's completely fine in your small council. One of the coolest small councils uh, <laughs> ever. Definitely of 2K16. Yeah. It <laughs> It's t- it's totally fine to tell all of them, not only John, but to say, hey, um, Baelish, who s- put me in Winterfell, I just met him in Molestown, and we have those numbers as well, if we need them, because he, he owes me big time. Why why keep Baelish in your back pocket? I don't, I don't, I'm not sure where, where she's coming from with this decision. It's a Especially little concerning, almost. The men of the Erie at Mo Kalen just waiting for a signal. Like, does she want to surprise John? Like, make it That's- even richer? Like... <laughs> The victory that much sweeter. Look at the last minute win. No, yeah. no, I don't think not. so. Of course not. I mean, of course not. I think we saw her being kind of smug and happily being able to deliver the news about um, the Tullys. But I, as somebody who will defend Sansa Stark to the grave, I feel I just I just was concerned almost, or just questioning why she didn't tell John the truth. Why doesn't she trust him a hundred percent? Why doesn't she be honest with mm-hmm. him? I think that and that's why I trust Baelish. Yeah, why, and, and why, why do you why should you believe anything that he says? Why should you believe that the Blackfish is retaking River Run? It could be a trap. Right. And she stands so strongly against him in that scene with him and Littlefinger's cowering in her presence, essentially. But she still believes him. Yeah, when coming back to, to this small council that we love, um, still kind of has him in the back of her mind. Hmm. I think he knew she'd send Brienne to treat, and I think Brienne's going to get captured by the phrase. Yeah, but why would why would Baelish care to give Brienne to other people? I wonder. What but maybe he's still is Brienne for anyone? Maybe he's still trying to. Dormant. Well, other than Dorman. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you want a wildling on me? I'll get you. <laughs> I'll get you a wildling with me. the beard. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like and that's where a lot of the secrecy to me makes sense like I understand her misgivings and, and these misgivings come from Brienne but you gotta know that Sansa feels them too about uh, Davos and about Melisandre because that's, yeah. that's I understand that but John like would you not trust John enough not to tell them like if you really don't want Davos and Melisandre to know that there's a, another army um, nearby in the north that will help mm-hmm. you um, fine, but I don't know. It's interesting. So, so it makes a lot of sense, and and that could be how it's explained. That could be her motivations, and Maybe that would she be tell them later. Yeah, exactly. 
and those would be sound motivations. So I, I understand that. But um, the stuff between maybe it's so- stitched into the swaggy coat that she made for him. Mm-hmm. There's a secret fold. Yeah, it's a little message. <laughs> it was pretty like cool that. that he put on that uh, direwolf sigil. I like mm-hmm. that. It looked so awesome riding out out of the wall together in there. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking. It was all kind of clicking in my mind. I was like, this is it. This is, and we've known this, but this is the song of ice and fire. It's these Mm -hmm. trials and tribulations. It's these people that are, are going to have to rise up and, uh, unite the world against this great threat. And, uh, it's just humans, man. They're all just broken people. We look back in history and we know that generations of heroes were raised. And as they were raised, they were helped by people around them. I'm thinking of people like Cersei and Jamie that are from and even Tyrion that are from a different time they're older they're not they're not the younger class of heroes they're a part of of what's happening but like what happened to Barristan Selmy um in the, in the rising of a new era there are going to be casualties and those casualties can come from the greatest pool to the most menial character and uh i'm afraid that characters like Cersei and like Jamie uh, and possibly even Tyrion, maybe not Tyrion. Tyrion may may stay and remain an, as an old person, but I, these important mm. people, and it's going to take important people uh, to help this cause ever happen. But these these important people may end up being, you know, part of the sacrifice that it takes for this new world to rise up for the young ones like John and Sansa and Daenerys and Bran, etc., to rise up and to to run the world, to operate the the planet, you know, to save humanity to save mankind to save the living from the dead that's no small task like that's just like <laughs> the weight of the world it, it it almost needs to get so much worse before it can get better right like i i i foresee essos being in trouble from the threat from the north of westeros like i just foresee like a, a true worldwide cataclysm winter everywhere holy shit it, i mean because otherwise, it's just this plight that just Westeros had to deal with, right? Like, mm-hmm. Danny's over in Essos, and she has to get to Westeros, but Westeros is where it goes down. How will people in Essos hear tales of, and will they believe? And, you know, this is... this. They is, don't care, I, though. I mean, yeah. not that they don't care, but, I mean, just use a point of reference that we saw in this episode in Bravos, where Arya is watching this stage play, where they're mocking what is happening over in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think that in certain parts of Essos, the weather is comparable, but I don't think that they have to face the same kind of threat because there is that narrow sea that divides them. And Mm. maybe they can look to assistance from the people of Essos, especially considering what we saw in Marine in this episode and the growing power of the Lord of Light and, and his followers. And I just, this episode with, Kimvara mm-hmm. and I, I had tweeted this out on, on Game of Owns, but I just felt like for two of the largest power players in, in this series being Baelish and Varys, they got owned hard. Hard. And Baelish by Sansa, which we already talked about. And then Varys by this red priestess. Varys who never really looks unsettled or uncomfortable mm-hmm. man did he look just nervous and and sort of even scared at moments you saw it in his eyes with the story how could possibly this woman know his story but 
I feel like there there's something here when when all this comes to a head, it's going to be, you know, sort of the Lord of Light versus uh, the, the Night's King and the White Walkers, at, at least in some part, right? She she mentions how Daenerys is is essentially Azor Ahai to her. Mm, right. That was very interesting. Yeah, she definitely taps into Varys's deepest fears. Almost is kind of the impression that I got. In an episode that we got to see the the White Walkers be created at the moment that they were created, which is more than I could have ever asked for, someone stood in front of Varys. Now, remember the show that we're watching. It doesn't, it's not this on the nose ever. Like, we did not expect the White Walker origin story. And I know that we did not expect someone to stand in front of Varys and to touch his arm and to tell him she could not only say what the voice that spoke to him from the flames when his mutilations was taking place said, but who was speaking yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like what? I know. <laughs> what? She talks she said, <laughs> she said, knowledge has made you powerful, but there's still so much more you don't know. And for Varys to hear that, that's for us to hear it. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. But I like how Stannis is always constantly called into question in terms of being the one that was promised, right? Davos mentioned it in the last episode, and here you have Varys bringing it up yet again. And so why should we continue to believe in John or believe in Danny when clearly mistakes have been made along the way? But even Varys says to her, it must be hard for a fanatic to admit a mistake. And, mm-hmm. and she kind of responds by saying, yeah, but we're only human men and women who follow the Lord of Light, but we have to trust in what it is that he's trying to tell us. Well, because we have to do something. Yeah. We have to do something. Everything's a mistake. The White Walkers becoming who they are, that was a mistake. That wasn't divine purpose by some old ancient god. That was something that a lot of people thought, and that might have been the only explanation. You know what I mean? Like, that's true. It's all a mistake. You have to follow someone. You have to rally. You have to come together. And if it takes a leader, if it takes a prophecy, if it takes a legend, make sense of all this. Fine, you know, like fine, sure. But you have to, you have to come together. And that's that's. It's just so cool what's happening because um, we've we thought all these things, and the the books aren't even out yet. To, to tell us these things. Winds of Winter is not out. And the world right now that watches this show, and it's a very, very popular program, is getting introduced to these like really broad scope ideas. And I just think it's good for people to widen like this. And it, it just through a television show, um, sort of jabs at what people represent during elections or jabs at, uh, uh, just, just basically what I'm saying. I know I'm rambling, but, but for the show to illustrate such important points and fallacies of humanity, uh, is really important. It's important to address these issues and Game of Thrones is doing it in a, a super enjoyable way. But when the Greyjoys are in Pike and are talking about Daenerys, the whole war, it's just everything opens up. Those are the connections, right? The signals are firing and the world is growing smaller while at the same time growing much larger. 
And we'd like to take a second to thank Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's episode. Picked a good one. Yes, they certainly did. <laughs> Lots of blue eyes, blue blue aprons. <laughs> blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, mm. or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. We felt that it was our responsibility, nay, our duty to try Blue Apron for ourselves. And I would just like to say that it feels like Christmas when food comes in the mail. <laughs> different meals came in with the first package and obviously they're something like you would buy from a fancy restaurant and they come with these uh these pages with art of like step-by-step cooking instructions like how to how to put it all together and it's been a fun experience putting the ingredients together and to try to make it look exactly like the picture and as far as the price is concerned you you literally can't go to the grocery store and get ingredients this good for this small of a price you know how like it's hard to decide oh what are we gonna eat tonight and like i don't know i want this i want this oh and what goes with what you know what's gonna balance the acidity with that i watch the food network all the time i can't even you know make sense of what what they they all say there are couples listening to this podcast uh please understand that a team of experienced food deciders will craft your meal experience for you and you get to cook it together it's like a fun exercise as an example here are the meals for the month of may you get crispy cod and cabbage slaw tacos with pepita, pineapple, and avocado salsa. Mouth is watering. Right? That's one. Middle Eastern chicken and chickpea stew with pita croutons, which I love croutons. So Who doesn't? That's, that's going to looking forward to that the most. And uh, pan-seared pork chops with two cheese, mashed potatoes, and sautéed spinach. It feels like a George R. R. Martin crafted <laughs> menu at this point. If you like anything that Eric just mentioned, and if your mouth is watering like ours, um, you get two meals for free that you can try out for yourself and see how see how it is. So you can go check out the menu and get two free meals with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash owns. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. And that's blueapron.com slash owns. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Two meals on us. Croutons! <laughs> Croutons! <laughs> We now have the honor to introduce you to a new sponsor of the podcast, Total War, Warhammer, a marriage made in gaming. All right, keep up with me here. Two different games, Warhammer, rich, high fantasy world of perpetual war and massive battles, and Total War, critically acclaimed epic scale conquest based strategy games. Put them together. And you get a gorgeous high fantasy world of perpetual war and conquest on a colossal scale brought to life in hours and hours of gripping strategy gameplay. No one's done Warhammer or indeed fantasy like this before. From the personal skills of your characters to 20,000 roaring orcs, (laughs) no fantasy strategy game is this big and detailed. I cannot stop talking like this. This game releases tomorrow. Total War Warhammer releases tomorrow, and they were kind enough to sponsor the podcast, so we're really excited to tell you guys that when you listen to this episode, it will be available. So whether you're 
vampire counts, mm-hmm. monsters, lords, heroes, <laughs> dwarves, <laughs> green skins. I've been looking to, to get into a game just like this, and I think that I will be. Uh, well, it's got everything that yeah. we everything I was that we love. Say, yeah, if you like Game of Thrones, <laughs> yeah. you definitely are going to like this game right now. If you're listening right now, this game is available in the Steam marketplace. So if you are a PC gamer, I suggest that this is what you do. So be sure to pick up your copy of Total War Warhammer today on Steam. And you have the introduction of an extremely bold character in Euron Greyjoy who has no trouble admitting to the fact that he killed his brother and threw him off a bridge yeah. and is here to lead the the Ironborn and build a fleet and seduce Daenerys with this fleet so that she can travel back to Westeros and reclaim what's rightfully hers and he had a bunch of cock jokes that he threw in there of course of course for good measure and i know we've seen a lot of incredible stuff this episode and this season but this sequence in the iron islands between yara trying and theon defending yara to get the throne and Euron actually us getting to see him on screen and talking about Danny and talking about building a fleet. And then the sequence when Euron is being drowned and we see Yara and Theon piecing out behind the words of um, Dampere when he's drowning him. I mean, this was probably one of the coolest scenes it was cool. ever. I loved every second of it. Mm, it was cool. I do have to say, though, I'm not sure if you guys are with me. Um, my Euron, George's Euron... Um, feels more dangerous than this you're on mm. and it, it could be because we saw him die and that's kind of a, that's a very he got very vulnerable he was he was dipped by someone else i know it's his brother and it's a priest so you you sort of bend to the will of religion even the greatest tyrants do but um i don't know just for some reason he didn't he didn't seem he seemed very you know swaggy and let's go kill them or let's go murder them and he spoke well and he's going to rouse them a fleet he promises them the world he's 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 yarn on paper but just for some reason I was just like I didn't feel as murderously scared of this man as I wanted to be and I know that that's a really small point but I just thought it was worth saying I wondered if you guys felt the same or if I'm very just interesting projecting I don't know I can I can see that because uh, I feel like Euron has a little bit more brustic swagger to him. I mean, he's not, he's no Captain Jack Sparrow in terms of like life of the party, but three shillings and we forget the name. <laughs> he's got, he's got an eye patch, number one, right? In, in the books. Hence the name Crow's Eye. Yeah. <sighs> and yeah, I, I, I would expect a little bit more of just like a darker individual than what we saw when he presented himself to the king's moot in this episode. Did you think it while you were watching it, or is it my fault? No, no. It, I, pro- I think I subconsciously thought it, and now that you've raised it, I, I, I definitely make the connection. You time-traveled, and you knew that later you would think that about Euron. You were just wondering the moment that it <laughs> or, happened. Or did you time-travel and knew that <sighs> I would think this, and, was, and so you raised the question. To do it, too, but did I know that raising the question, would, that would be the thing that would trigger you to feel that way? <sighs> Ask Brad. Let's ask our friend Rose-Eye, who only ever says Rose-Eye in the background. <laughs> no, uh, okay, well, that's okay, you know? Very, very small thing. Doesn't have to be the same sort of Euron, and I'm sure that he's going to be, like, piercingly deadly in his own way. And, and, yeah. and that's, that's fine. I mean, that, that person 
being so dangerous and deadly is cool on its own right. You know what I mean? He doesn't, I'm not saying he needed to be a cartoon character. Like, cause that mm. eye patch might have even helped with that a little bit if they would have, if they would have kept it. Uh, I guess that's true. But at the same time, I just, he's a badass in the books. Like, Euron Greyjoy is a badass. He is a captain of a ship. Everybody has had their tongue removed. <laughs> I need <Yeah>. silence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really worried about it, though. I'm not either. I think that, I think that he's still going to serve his purpose. I think that we're still going to, at least I'm still, I still feel excited about it. I'm, I mean, I am too. And Yara, Yara has her fleet. So that's cool. Some of our best ships. That was really cool. Where will Where they are go? they going though? Yeah. Mm. To Danny. Of course. Let's get there first. <laughs> Let's get there he, first. He has to build a thousand ships before he can leave. Yeah. He's got plenty. They got plenty of time to catch what up. What if Danny and Miss Greyjoy end up ruling together? That would be interesting. That'd be pretty cool. But, but they're, Danny they're and Yara. Not- and then Sansa in the north, be still my beating heart. That would be interesting. And we did see in the the trailer, right, the uh, Yara in Volantis. We did mm-hmm. the tattoo. So I guess they are headed in that direction. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, let's if she can't win the throne, then let's go do what she wanted to do anyway. But without the backing of all of Iron Island. I would love to see an epic sea battle between Yara Anyone. and Dion and, and Euron before they get to Daenerys. And the monkeys, too. <laughs> Keep the monkeys. <laughs> Solid Orsan shows up and I don't know. When she was climbing on the ships, like, during that whole... That was so... I just felt, okay, here we go. The show's opening up next season. Maybe this season. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna be... Game of Thrones is gonna have pirate action. You know? It was such a cool scene. Yeah. It's so cool. I'm so... I'm glad George wrote all these different cultures and geographies and topographies into the story because it's so rich. It's so much to chew on. You could have told this with any... You know, we could have stayed in the North and, and gotten the message across for the series. But no, we get to have pirates in Game of Thrones, too. Oh my gosh. Search your heart, Eric. You know it's true. Do you think that's what Ian McShane is doing this season? He's going to reprise his role from Pirates uh, as Blackbeard. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and just show so. up in the middle. In the, he's yeah. going to board their ships uh, when, when Theon and Yar are trying to escape. Blackbeard crosses universes and like uh, he finds the Bermuda Triangle and it brings him to Westeros. Right? Yeah. This is totally... It's crossed because Disney owns... Well, no. Everything. I guess that wouldn't quite work. Yep. <laughs> France just opened up this whole world of possibilities for things Brand. that can happen in this series. So I'm scared right now where I'm recording so. that Brand's just going to appear like in the doorway and say something to me. I'm worried. Like, you sure you think that about this episode? <laughs> He's like, wait, you till sure you, you don't want to go back and watch it episode again? Episode seven. Oh, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, damn it! <laughs> and then the Night's King is going to walk out of the forest. I can't wait till we have the Night's King on the on the podcast to learn about some of his motivations. Um, He's not going to say anything. He's just going to stare intently into his microphone right this whole time. Yeah, guys. <laughs> he was tweeting actually pretty actively during the episode. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> not one for talking, but uh, those thumbnails don't get in the way of a smartphone screen. Oh man! And he looked different. He looked a little bit tired. I don't know if they get tired, but he looked tired. Those dark circles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Where are they not going sure on that? You know, and how scary was Brand? And to me, I just felt like, uh oh, is this heavy handed hint? When Brand first warged and the 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 wide shot opened up and it was sort of arching over the army, and Brand was alone standing there. He looked like the leader of the army of the dead. I mean, damn. 
Yeah. <laughs> That'd be intense. It looks cool. So much for warging into a dragon at the end game. Maybe one of the dragons is turned into a slave of death. I just, I, I can't even. And now, like, retroactively, like, the green site is tied into... Because we, I mean, the green site was tied into the children of the forest. The children of the forest harnessed this energy which created the the ice, the White Walkers. Like it's all we see how it's connected. We see how at least those two things are connected. Yeah, and they also harness fire, which and and the magic that keeps the White Walkers out. So it it all goes back to the children of the forest for me. It all goes back to their magic, their understanding of the it's world. Their fault. It's their fault, damn it. Uh, but also their, you know, therein lies. The, the answer, I mean, the wall is still keeping those things out. So there, there sure have to be more of them. John said, don't knock it down while I'm gone. Yeah, to me, <laughs> I got so scared when it's he said that advice. because I was like, and we've been saying this whole season, there's no time for offhanded comments. And so no. as soon as he said that, I was like, great. The wall's Whoa. coming down before John can be there. <laughs> Speaking of those offhanded comments... There were a couple of them I wanted to uh, bring up here real fast. One was the one that Baelish said to Sansa on the way out, half-brother, when Your you're friends with John. And then also Sansa says, John is as much Ned Stark's son as Ramsay is Roose Bolton's. Thoughts? She she couldn't possibly know anything more than we do about true parentage of Roose and well, Ramsay. She may not, but the writers do. Yeah. What are you thinking, Micah? I don't know what to think, to be honest with you. Secret Targaryen. I think it's oh my God. the only way to go. So so they did wake a stone dragon. It was dead Jon Snow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's clear at this point that Jon is not Ned Stark's son, but does that mean that Ramsay is not Roose Bolton's? Interesting. Whoa. Hmm. You don't think that... doesn't matter hmm. if he's going to be dead anyway. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Just no. kills Ramsay, 2K16. Right. But they're both bastards of the North. They are both bastards of the North. You know, it's a real shame John didn't take up Stannis' offer to uh, legitimize him right before that all went down. But, uh, you know, Snow, Stark, uh, none of the brothers have any problem with him. I mean, at least they're not going to go up against him le- leaving the wall. I think he's fulfilled his duty, and I don't, I don't think anybody's really questioning it. Um, at least John has that going for him, because essentially as soon as you leave the wall... Anyone is justified in killing you. Your brother of the Night's Watch, you're a deserter, and anyone can kill you. I wonder how they'll sort of continue to skirt that, seeing as how Stannis is dead. He's not the king, the one true king. And frankly, uh, anyone, uh, Tommen, anyone who hears that Jon Snow is still alive and left the wall would also say, hey, you got to kill this guy. He's a deserter. Can you imagine if this what that was John's fate? <laughs> just to be, he just gets killed, so killed by an enthusiast of the code of yeah, the Night's Tom Watch. Just like the current Lord Commander, you know, wished him well, and and he did die. I think his his his, his situation is a bit unique, but I mean, yeah, that is, those are the rules. But then you get Dolores saying, "Oh, I'm not the Lord Commander." You know, like <laughs> he, he 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 isn't quite taken up his. <laughs> cool. He isn't quite taken up the mantle 100. percent so. How awesome was that moment? Where he's like, "I'm not the Lord Commander." Look around. Yes, <laughs> he's really come up in the world. And Eric, Success there's also story. the fact that uh, by the end of the story, I don't think there's going to be a need for the Night's Watch anymore. That's a good point. That's cool. Also, can we talk about the Night's King's ice abilities? I mean, he just shot a tremor through the ground. The force <laughs> is strong with this one. And then he walked through fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They walked through fire. They're they're badass. The uh, children have created a monster. Yeah, 
You know what they say, one way or another, a face will be added to the wall. <laughs> you think his face is on the wall somewhere? The Night's Game? Yeah. Not yet. That would be but cool. the uh, Three-Eyed Raven, maybe. Like I said earlier, I mean, the fact that we had Jack and Arya in the House of Black and White discussing how the Faceless Men founded Bravos, basically as they were fleeing persecution, sounded very much like how the Children of the Forest created the White Walkers in order to defend themselves against the First Men. And each of these points were so influential in terms of how these cities have developed and these these groups of people have developed over time. And mm. Arya is, is, is basically told in this episode that you have one more chance. You can yeah. choose to either fulfill what I'm asking you, but it's interesting to me how challenging the situation is that's being put in front of her because clearly Jacken is not just sending her to kill somebody who she could, without any thought or regret, just kill. There, There's these little... I don't want to call them side challenges because I don't think this is this is a video game necessarily. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. But it's like it, it's like watching that play unfold was conjuring up emotion in her, bringing Arya back to the surface. Right? She's been training so long to be no one, but yet Jacken puts her in this situation where she's watching what happened all the way back in season one to her father, and I can't help but wonder if. Arya is not going to be able to fulfill her task here and she's going to end up killing somebody else who says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Maybe she does kill this lady, but there's somebody else that she offs as well or multiple people. I don't know, but it just, to me, it's not looking good so far. Well, this is a true test for her. And she said that she said over and over again that she is no one and that she's ready and that she's training, but to her, the look on her face as she's watching the audience uh, in the audience watching this story that she's so familiar with play out in front of her um, it's just a huge like you were saying reminder of who she is and where she came from um, and especially when Sansa comes I felt like um, when, when Sansa's on the stage I thought I could just see it in Arya's face like she remembers who she is and is she is she going to be able to actually be no one after coming this far along in her training and to still be triggered by, by familiar things. She's not going to be able to stay away from Westeros forever. What a trip. How cruel uh, and how strong of a test is that for the love of God, she was there when some of that stuff mm. happened that's in the play that she's watching, it's about two of her own family members. She was in the crowd and when her father laughing. got it's beheaded. It's perfect setup. She was, she was the there for the setup. actual scene of that scene. I know. How yeah. messed up is that? That she, is a she watched it. Scene. Yeah. So messed up. How cool, up. though, that there that's in the story. A, a that's line, interesting. Wow. There's also a line when... Uh, King Robert is murdered by the boar, and somebody, I can't remember who says, I feel the winds of winter yeah. as they look across the land. And I was <laughs> like, winds of winter. Mm-hmm. Uh. My first note is, I love this play. I just, that was, uh. it was, uh, it was so fun, right? All the farting. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a kind of a poorly done production, but good for those people. A little bit more rhymey. 
you know, I lo- than, I really than the like world that. typically is. That was that was yeah. well done. It just it was uh really welcome and it just felt good. Like it well captured in the show. It was really fun to watch. And it's a it reminder of how far we've come. Yeah. God, you remember when Robert Baratheon was a thing? You know, still it was a dude God, hanging around. You had scenes with him, <laughs> <laughs> right? Caves so, I mean, yeah. so so yeah. long ago. And this is, as it was said, that this is the perfect test for Arya, and this will determine if she will truly um, throw away, cast away her her identity, and become no one, or whether she'll embrace it. I, I think I I think it was the girl who said, "I have this quote in my notes: You should go home before it's too late." I, I kind of agree with her. I think that, you know, that, that she asks all the right questions of Jack and Jack and says a servant does not ask questions, but you know, he says, uh, does, does death only visit the wicked? Does, you know, what was this woman, a bad woman? Did she do something bad? Uh, these are all good questions, but they're not questions that are asked by someone who is, who has no problem killing people. And I think that Arya is ultimately going to succeed, which they will see as failing and she will not be able to, to become, a faceless assassin. It was good that they gave the history of their order, though. And I'm not, yeah. I wasn't sure that they were going to do that in the TV show, but like you were saying, Micah, it, it really helps to build out where we are and sort of harkening back to what I was saying earlier in the podcast when my feelings were a little bit more feely. Uh, the whole world is kind of just opened up uh, more. And if the casual viewer connects that slaves in the minds of Valyria, making a decision to become no one became the people that eventually founded one of the current great free cities in the whole world. Um, that's cool. They're going to feel that they're going to feel that there and that magic that they were so close to. What do you think that they were mining in Valyria? What, what were those people up to in Valyria um, are definitely rooted in a lot of the mysticism surrounding who they are and what they do in the current time in the city that they founded thousands of years ago. So it's just, it's cool. It's, it's bringing in passively some of the cool parts about reading a fantasy epic, but into a TV show and in a way that I don't think is turning anyone off. And that is a very exciting for me as someone who's very, uh, into and passionate and nerdy about stuff like that. I like that it's in a TV show and it's cool. That's a really good point, actually. Mm-hmm real magic and real fantasy yeah it's like we get it all mm-hmm. that's why everyone likes the show so much yeah you get lines by the red priestess like everyone is what they are and where they are for a reason you're like damn so true isn't it you just hope for it you want to believe when i was watching and i saw all the children i was like yes okay what we talked about last week we're going back then we're going that far back then and then i saw their spiral imagery that we saw at the beginning uh, of the series and i was like i don't yeah. get this because okay this doesn't make me feel comfortable and then just <laughs> out of nowhere we saw the origin story of the white walkers i was just like this episode yes i bet my grandma <laughs> loves this <laughs> <laughs> you gotta check for those text messages my mom just my mom texted me a bunch of question marks and then the word hodor and I don't know if she can only Fair. say Hodor now after seeing that episode. I'll have to check. Like, you, should, <laughs> you should just, you should try and correct like spell check to be like asterisk, hold the door. That's mm. just, you should just oh, correct that. Man, that's going to hurt for a long yeah. time. Yeah. How did I cry? How do we, how do we cry? How did uh, I, people cried. Real cry. Danny people cried. Died. Oh gosh. I, that was a misty scene. 
Uh, that was that was. I never expected to be so emotional about a scene between Danny and Jorah at this point. Maybe I just my not 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 enthusiasm, but just this whole storyline so far hasn't been my favorite. I guess you could say in this series, and then to be hit punched in the gut with this scene between that moved you. Yes, I just I wasn't expected to feel feel that way when Jorah's trying to leave and she's like don't walk away from your queen and she just has that single tear in her eye i mean that killed me yeah when i take back the seven kingdoms i need you by my side i need you by my seat flat out says i love you and moments later she says i need you by my side i command you to find a cure what she didn't say is or die trying but she doesn't need to say it he knows he knows what a character he is just back to roaming alone the Andal. His true destiny. <laughs> Jorah, the, the castaway Mormont, just, he's cool. He's going to have a role, right? Apart from what he's done with Daenerys. Maybe he won't, but like I said, I think so. I think all these people come together. Sam and Old Town, you know, this is all one yeah. big recipe. All of it. All these characters, like, this is a, it's going to take a recipe this abstract to defeat them. Yeah. I think that's true. It has to. And it's all coming together. It's it's the world is getting smaller and they're they absolutely need to be united before they can have any chance against what's coming next. You know, I was talking earlier about how the white uh, the children of the forest could be all wiped out and that would suck. But it just occurred to me I wasn't thinking fourth dimensionally because if Bran wants to have a conversation with the children of the forest, he can actually just go back in time to when they were alive, go back in time to when they were making the White Walk and, and ask all the questions he wants of them then. Maybe that'll be a source of answers for him Whoa. to converse with them in the past. If if they are, in fact, all gone. I just got hope back. I'm I'm pretty happy. At the very least, we need a portrait of like the Three-Eyed Raven to talk to after all is said and done. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I mean, what does it mean you're going to become the new me? I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't think Brand knows either. <laughs> Well, we have a few days to process this with all of you. Micah didn't even retweet owns tonight. This was just, this is all not yet. This is all real <laughs> the tears. Flooded his fart, uh, smartphone but screen. Zach, maybe I can go back in time and. Retweet. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. It's already been done. <laughs> okay, so um, this is this is uh this is cool. This is a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. Ugh. We're gonna do owns, I think. I think we have a few yeah. days to process this with all of you and uh, talk about it on another episode this week. But, you know, I th- thought about this and, and I was going to give the own to uh, Robert's farting during the play. <laughs> but Not in this episode. Not in this episode. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the more humorous moments of an otherwise very somber episode. So I'm actually going to give it to Sansa. Uh, and uh, she had a number of great lines, but this one I really liked when she said to Baelish, you freed me from monsters who murdered my family and gave me to monsters who murdered my family. Damn. Yeah. The look on her face, too. Man. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad, Micah, that you gave the own to her, because I was going to give the own to her. Seriously, I truly was uh, for, for what took place in that scene. But now I'm free to give my own to Theon Greyjoy, who is, you know, it's been a while since we could do this, but uh, he really went and did what he said he was going to do and supported his sister, which had to be a tough moment for him. 
but he did it. He did it well. And if it weren't for that charismatic uncle, uh, I'd say Yara would have had, uh, herself a pretty crown, a salty crown. Um, so, uh, own, own to Theon and, and that, uh, hopefully, uh, the sibling relationship, which is, which is repaired and, and budding again, starting anew. You guys both stole my own. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, go first, Hannah. It's obvious for me. I, I just want to give it to Hodor, young and old. I just, uh, I, I want to say, all right, I need to stop lying to myself. Uh, it, okay, it was a lot to, to process, you know? We love Hodor. And what he did was beautiful. For me, I think a lot of the emotion um, came from everything in this episode that um, moved us into a new understanding of this story. And I think that it's sort of like, I don't want to say a part of me, but a part of something that I really care about um, sort of died tonight in this episode, along with Hodor. A lot of the stuff that happens just kind of represented A Song of Ice and Fire before I learned these things. And now it's never going to be the same. And that's cool. It was, it was, it was really cool. So I give my own to that, whatever that is, whatever, whatever tears meant, whatever was being mourned, Hodor, uh, Westeros, <laughs> innocence, the innocence. idea that any of us have a choice. Own yeah. to that, own to those feelings. That was great. Hannah, follow that. Yeah, I just like, am getting screwed in the owns tonight. Um, I'm trying really hard not to get my own to Sansa because I feel like I do that all the time. But whatever, I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, I'm going to give my own to Sansa for the first half of the scene that Micah talked about. When she says to Littlefinger about her being with Ramsay, if you didn't know, you're an idiot. If you did know, you're my enemy. Mm. Uh, which I thought was a really powerful line. And then I also loved when she was making him tell her what he thought Ramsey did to her. And she's like, what do you think he did to me? He's like, I don't know. He doesn't want to answer. He says, beat you, I guess. And she says, what else? And she just is so intense in that scene. And I loved it. So that's my own to Sansa for owning Littlefinger. There we go. Uh, audible breathing what a good episode we got a lot of fun stuff to do this week i mean there's a lot of fun questions to think about and to talk about and i'm really really excited for for us to continue to have this conversation this week me too and i'm excited that we get to involve all of you listening so please continue to send your owns speak to one another send christian and sam uh, your your thoughts and uh, just thanks, you know, just thank them for donating a part of their life to uh, help bring these characters in this story, uh, you know, to the screen for all of us to enjoy because it was really cool and we got to feel those feelings based off someone else's work and that's pretty awesome. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, if there are specific things that you would like us to speak to Christian about this week, feel free to say that to us. We don't generally uh, interview guests on our show strictly speaking as an interview we just kind of have a conversation and hang out and uh press the record button but uh if something that is non-spoilery uh is you know rallying around your brain just tell us one of those ways is on twitter 
We are at we are on Twitter, twitter.com slash Game of Bones. If you're not following us on Twitter by now, you're missing so much. Pretty much the whole game, as a matter of fact. Mike is live tweeting, we're retweeting owns, everything is happening over there. Uh, once again, twitter.com slash Game of Bones. And what's not happening there might be happening on our wall, on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash Game of Owns. You can scroll upon our wall with your owns. We tend to call uh, for owns there. We ask questions. It's a conversation. It's lovely. While you're on Facebook, you might want to check out Kyburn's Candy Corner. Okay, next. <laughs> and email. Uh, you can email us your own long form, longer than 140 characters, unrestrained, unrestricted, unbound, unbent, unbroken. Contact at gameofowns.com. Uh, send us your emails. I, I think we'll probably make some time to read some of your, your emails this week. Just as a reminder, uh, this episode was sponsored by Total War Warhammer, which is available today via the Steam Marketplace. Check it out. Epic Fantasy, 20,000 Roaring Orcs. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you ask for? We tried to record a new Squad of Ice and Fire before this episode. Um, it didn't go over very well because we didn't do a lot of talking. It was just kind of like... Uh, Heavy breathing. We're just like numb. Crying and... Micah yeah. making really tasteless jokes about <laughs> stuff that happened. Uh, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you're interested, though, in checking out the uh, squads of Ice and Fire we have made that uh, have a little bit more uh, upbeat nature to them, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash goo. That's how you support the podcast. If you like the podcast, there's another podcast and other things there. And uh, we'll still release this uh, Squad of Ice Fire episode. It's going to be kind of strange, but <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fun. Yeah. Maybe we'll put some like happy music mm-hmm. in it to counteract a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. And, it's uh, pretty depressing. It's crazy to think that we are halfway through the season now, episode five in the books, but uh, we are still welcoming your rating and reviews of the show over on iTunes it is the month of May, so nothing less than five stars is acceptable when you rate and review the show. Uh, we do appreciate you giving us your feedback through iTunes, as it is the place where most people download and listen to the show and also can find out, if they haven't listened to us before, uh, that we do exist. So thank you in advance for uh, giving us your review. Well, we did it. <laughs> we we the did door. it. The, the first that we held the, held the door, we'll hold the door open for further conversation that will definitely definitely be taking place this week those jokes are too soon still oh come on christian's gonna be on the show next and it'll we'll have a great conversation we'll ask him how heavy the door was was it easy to hold (laughs) (laughs) thank you guys for uh sharing this with us this is a really special night thank you